Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, 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 underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an incredible incredible guest here with me one of my amazing friends he's like a brother he's a freaking rock star and you'll understand why by the end of this podcast but dave harder is in the building how are you brother hey pam i am wonderful it is truly an honor to have you here today you are such a rock star in your realm and i remember meeting you for the first time at chris crone event where we were in utah and we were in utah yeah and actually it was funny because i met you prior to that I remember seeing you, Rob, and Sean, Sean Callaghan, and the whole gang yep. in the Marriott lobby. And I remember yeah, I, was on that's right. <laughs> I was on a FaceTime with my husband and I was like, who the hell is this? They got like a whole gang of people. And I had no idea, you guys, like, because I don't know where I met you. And I was like, who the hell are these guys? And I was on FaceTime and I remember Rob being yeah. like, you filming us? I was like, no, 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 we are. And then that's like the You thought you were a fed or something. <laughs> no, I was like, oh my God. I was like, who are these two? They're running in with like a whole gang. There's like oh, yeah. 27 of them. They run yep. so deep. <laughs> we ran deep that day. We, yep, we're rolling deeper every day, Pam. It's incredible. It really is. <laughs> I love it so much. So that was my first encounter. I'm like, okay, these guys are ballers. Um, and clearly you guys are. And I love it. And, you know, getting to know you, getting to know Rob just like most heart-centered down to earth but also just beasts in the insurance and like just life space in general which is such a gift so I'm just so grateful to have you here today Dave truly and you know I'm going to start you off with my favorite question one of them which is what inspired you on your journey to where you are today my friend incredible and Pam by the way I want to say that the honor and privilege of getting to know you has been you know something that I did quite honestly I didn't anticipate I didn't see coming how much I love you you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I knew that I really liked you, but you're like a sister. You really are. And I, what you're doing is magical. And it's like, it's so cool to see each other, you know, see you in my future. We you know like my journey and like really what kind of brought me to where I am now, what inspired me to move into where I am now. Honestly, you know, Pam, I think that you are a reflection of your most successful failure, right? So, yeah. and I'll give, I'll give two very, very specific examples of what really motivates me and really what my why is. When I graduated Peace University, I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do with my life, right? No clue whatsoever. I had a communications degree, which meant that I could do anything. Now it was 1999, you know, so we were at the height of the dot-com bubble. So jobs, do you remember monster.com? Monster.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So monster.com was, you know, was everywhere and, and the jobs, there were new ones popping up every millisecond back then. And I got recommended by someone to take a look at a company named Smith Barney right? Which is now owned by Morgan Stanley. I was like, well, listen, I've never done finance before. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing there. I'll apply. Sure. But sure enough, I get the job interview in Smith Barney corporate and I go down and it's in the retirement plan division. I'm like, I don't even know what a retirement plan is, but uh, I did well in the, uh, in the interview and I relate to people. I love people. I really, really do. I get a kick out of people. I think that everybody is incredible in their own uniqueness, right? Whether you like them or you don't like them, I think that everybody has that level of uniqueness that is interesting. You know, I got my first job down there. 
I was down there through 9-11. I was down there until 2003. And then I moved from corporate to individual planning and individual financial advisory. No, I take that back. It was in 2002. And I remember that that culture was all about, it was about managing assets, right? Insurance was not a part of that culture at all, at least in the office that I was part of, right? And so if we ran into insurance, it was just like you stumbled upon it. Right. You know, it was like, it was something that I just would always outsource because it wasn't anything that was interesting to me. It really wasn't what drove what we did. We just wanted to manage investments. Right. Right. But as time went on, more and more people were asking about life insurance and and there we we just believed, okay, do term life insurance, you know, do term insurance and invest the difference, you know, because, you know, we want to keep the money. We think you're going to get a better rate of return the market, blah, blah, blah. So this one client in particular contacted me one day and said, hey, Dave, and I had just taken on his money, right? And he was a friend of mine from college. And he said, Dave, I need life insurance. I want you to get me $750,000 of 15-year term insurance with Mutual of Omaha, right? I did my research. That's what I want. No problem. Let me figure out how to do that, right? So, <laughs> so I um, I make like ten calls, you know, to see who could help me to uh, to get him underwritten. And so it, it, I look back, it's so ludicrous now. But uh, anyway, long story endless. We we put him through, and uh, he gets his life insurance. He got a great rate, right? And he was a younger guy. I think at the time he was, you know, late twenties. But his wife was pregnant, right? She was going to have their first kid. So uh, this was in 2004. Fast forward the clock. In 2010, I saw him at a holiday party. And he said, Dave, I need to get more life insurance. And I'm like, oh, you know, fantastic. Are you having a, uh, another baby? He said, no, I have cancer. He said, I got diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Yeah. And um, I'm like, I know. And I'm like, oh my God. All right. So he took a look at the, uh, the, the group insurance that he had and it was okay. You know, and he had the 750,000 of insurance with me, but when you're active cancer, there's no hope of getting additional insurance. So we had to just really hope that they did a mastectomy on him, right? And they removed the cancer and we had to hope that he would go through remission and, and, and move on. And unfortunately that didn't happen. Unfortunately he died in 2013. Unfortunately the cancer came back in 12 and uh, took his life in 2013. And I remember delivering the death benefit to his spouse. I remember her telling me how grateful that she was. And inside I'm sitting there like, I am so sorry. So sorry that I I didn't do my job because this is a guy, when we did it, he was 32 years old. He was working in an accounting firm, making a really, really, really good living. And when he passed away, he was a long trajectory and I should have been delivering millions of dollars to his, his spouse. Did I deliver money? Yeah, I did. Right. And did we set up a trust and did we pay off a mortgage? Yeah, absolutely. But I've never forgotten that. I keep this mural in my office and I've never forgotten that my responsibility as a financial advisor and a financial financial planner or a coach or whatever you want to call me is to make my clients aware, even if they don't want to hear about it, of what risks they have in front of them. And the risk of leaving your family with not enough protection on your own life or human economic value is a real risk. You know, so that was obviously something that I've carried with me. I share that story quite a bit because it's important to me to always keep, you know, keep my eye on the ball of risk for my clients. There's other stories, but that's really, for me, that's what has consistently and constantly been a driver and a motivator. Because I think about my wife, Melissa, and I think about my kids. If I were to pass away, I want their hopes and their aspirations and their dreams to happen as if I was here. And you have to protect that. And that's what insurance does. And so 
the fact that that happened to someone motivates me every day to want to accelerate and do my job to the best of my ability. I love that, Dave. Thank you so much for sharing that. And wow. And the thing is, you lead with such power. You lead with such purpose. And it's like, that is exactly the reason why I was so drawn to you guys, because it's way more than just being a financial advisor, right? Like, it's like, I hear that term all the time. I've introduced to so many of them and like, oh, everyone's interested, you know, especially when they see that you're high net worth and blah, 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 blah. But really at the end of the day, like what you focus on is really the person and the family and making sure they're protected and all of that, which is absolutely amazing. When you lead with purpose, I think the whole business game shifts. It becomes a whole nother thing because you are now solving a problem. You are protecting, you are doing all of these things. And it's not about money anymore. It's more about the impact and making sure that that that's first and foremost, which is the reason why I think you have all exploded. But before we get to that, I want to reel it back in your life a little bit. What did you want to be when you grew up, Dave? So, you know, originally I wanted to be a broadcaster for the New York Knicks. <laughs> you know, that was, uh, you know, I, I wanted so to do that. I, it, it was either that or be a professional lacrosse player. And I was terrible at lacrosse. So I thought that I could be a broadcaster with the Knicks. And then when I went to college and I found out, you know, how long it was going to take from you to get, you know, your legs in broadcasting, et cetera. I was like, okay, I better find something different. But no, I honestly, I wanted to be my dad. You know, really more than anything else. I, you know, he's still to this day is my hero. He was the dean of a college. And I didn't want to be the dean of a college. I just wanted to be him because he had this aura about him. And still to this day, I, that lacrosse stick was actually given to me by the university lacrosse players and fraternity brothers that I had when my father passed away because he actually started the Pace Lacrosse uh-huh. program. Yeah. And I've never had one person tell me that they didn't have a good experience when they met my father. And it's crazy. And so he was just a super loving, humble, giving person. And I've always tried to model myself around that and to the best of my ability and give of myself more than I expect in return. Um, Sometimes that worked to his detriment, you know, but it's a very, very noble detriment to have as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, for me, that's what I wanted. I knew that I wanted to help people. I didn't know that it was necessarily going to be in the area of finance, but I knew that that was something that was important to me and that I was good at. And I wanted to have the ability to influence people. I always knew that the course of action towards getting into financial services was really just kind of a natural one. But as time went on, as time went on in financial services, Pam, I think I realized that I wanted, I'm not an independent individual. I like to work as part of a team. I like the camaraderie of working with team members. I think that the client experience is better with team members. And so that was when I met Rob and I met the team at Epic and you know, identified that as a company, this is a place I could really put a foothold, you know, and accelerate in. And and that's, you know, that's, that's why I joined the company that I'm with. I love that, Dave. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for sharing that about your dad too. So he was like your hero and still is to this day. He's always with you. And what I love is your last name's Harder. So hard, (laughs) very fitting, very, very fitting. And it's such a beautiful, such a beautiful tribute to him. I absolutely adore that. Absolutely adore that. And I love the journey that you had in joining Epic as well. Because I mean, listen, this life is never a linear one, if you will. And a lot of people look at highly successful people like yourself and like Rob and like all of us. And they're just like, wow, like you're so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) You know, lucky and intentional, I would say, you know, because you're 100% right. Nothing is linear about life, you know, and that's the thing I think what excites me about the work that I do is knowing that there's nothing linear about life and knowing that you're always going to have something to plan for. And there's going to be something new and interesting that you can introduce to people. And it's a changing world that we're in right now, economically, all that stuff. We can't concrete plan, 
you have to be able to pivot and you have to be able to account for the future lack of linear life, you know, for lack of a better description, right? 100%, Dave, 100%. And I mean, in your world, getting to where you guys are, because I mean, Epic's like crushing it at this point. Like you guys are just on a whole nother stratosphere of amazingness that's happening. And I, there's a lot of reasons why that's happening. But what were some of the challenges in building yourself up to that level? Because again, like people look at you guys now and might call you, oh, they're so lucky because of this. But it's like, they don't understand the whole hustle and the all the obstacles and things that you had gone through, either business-wise or personally, to get to that, to get to that level. So what were some of the obstacles that you've run into, I guess, professionally, personally, whichever ones you feel like sharing. Um, sure. Because life is crazy. Like I remember when Rob, I was interviewing Rob and he was talking about how like he had an addiction at one point. And I was like, dude, I never knew that about you, but thank yeah. you for sharing. That's like, thank you. People can relate. And then they're like, wow, I can resonate with him. Like he's human. Right. Yeah. But he yeah, still right. pushed yeah. through and he made it look at where he is now. Yep. Yep. That's an awesome, awesome question. And I'm so proud of Rob, by the way. He's sober over 25 years. I think it's incredible. It's something that you model after, you know. For a long period of time, I was in like a leadership capacity in financial services. You know, I still kind of ran my practice, but for the most part, I was managing and coaching others. I tired of that. You know, I just got to a point where I felt like I was not in control of my own world. And so when I made the exit out of leadership and went and started my own business, it was intentional. It's funny, you have a plan and then God has a plan, you know, and my plan sure as hell did not work out, you know, the way that I envisioned it because I created this, this runway and this plan for moving from essentially salary over to a commission-based environment. And two weeks after I do that, my wife got downsized from her job. Right. And so that threw this massive monkey wrench in. And, you know, what I decided to do is rather than she was pregnant at the time as well, but rather than push her into trying to get back into the workforce, I said, you know what? No, there's a sign here. I'm going to double down and I'm going to control my destiny. And I'm going to just, I'm going to do what I need to do to accelerate my practice. And so, you know, for the first year it went well, but in our world, sometimes just one little thing, if you count on, you would uh, appreciate this. If you count on one specific, either commission or relationship to come through, and that's all you're focused and all you're banking on, and something goes sideways, everything can trickle down. Everything can change. And I got caught in, in a situation like that. I was so sure that a relationship that I had was going to accelerate forward. And one person was uninsurable, right? And, wow. you know, had to pivot, right? But that created a lot of financial turmoil in my household for a period of time because, you know, you know, you eat what you kill, right? In, in the world that we operate. In. And so it took a period of getting right-sized. And I don't think, personally, I don't think you can give people good advice on how to manage your wealth unless you went through a hard time that you had to manage yourself through. That's me personally. And so I went through a hard time that I had to manage myself through and right-size my ship. And that was at around the exact same time that I was joining Rob. And we were developing this new relationship with Chris Crone and we were developing a new relationship with Sean and then ultimately new relationship with you. But, you know, people thought we were nuts because, you know, we're focusing on videos and YouTube and building yeah. out our social proofing and all these different types of things, as opposed to doing what everybody does traditionally in financial services. We were doing the polar opposite. We were marketing in a total 
totally different way. And people thought Rob was crazy for that. The peaks and valleys of that were from compliance and getting notoriety on our page. And there's a million naysayers out there that will go on to YouTube and say that our message, you know, not Epic specifically, but the message of, hey, use insurance as a vehicle that you can use as leverage to make investments. And it's the, it's the base camp for where we believe you should keep your money. There are people that are out there that think that's crazy. You know, there are people out there that say that that's something that you should not do. And when your message goes against the Dave Ramsey, so so it took time for us to really kind of, I think, build that social proof. But now, if you fast forward the clock three years, we're in a much, much, much different position, thankfully, thank God, you know, than, uh, than, than we were at when we were first really kind of putting this all together. I love that because that's the thing, right? Like everyone thinks that you're so lucky and it happens overnight and all of this and all of that. I didn't take a day off for two straight years. Sundays. Wow. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, every single day, you know, and there were plenty of conversations with my wife, Melissa, you know, like, Hey, are you going to make time for us? And I'm like, I, yes, that's my vision. You know, yes, that's absolutely going to take place. But right now can't do it right now. I have to produce this. Right. And, yeah. and, the biggest, I think the biggest victory for a, an entrepreneur, especially a married entrepreneur, is to have your spouse buy into your vision and support what you're doing, as opposed to thinking that you ought to be seeking something that is like more nine to five-ish, right? If they don't understand your business or understand your vision, that level of stress is so big, you know? So thank God over time, she's not only supported my vision, but she's bought in to understand what we do. So it's, that's been a huge help. And let's talk about the entrepreneurial journey for a little bit, because a lot of people don't see that part, right? Like you right. think you're just going to start a business or a new venture and you're just going to, they miss the whole part <laughs> where, where, where your back is up against the wall. Like you said, yep. seven days a week, crank out like nonstop trying to figure out that balance between work, life, everything, your family and, and the whole thing, like you were saying, because it's not easy. It's not easy to balance that and trying to figure it all out while in the midst of figuring out financials, right? right. Especially right. if you put your whole soul in it from day right. one. What were some of the things that helped push you through during that time, Dave? Like some motivational things, like anything, anything that you could share that helped you? Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost is exercise. I rediscovered exercise over the last year and I didn't realize I always considered myself athletic. I always considered myself, you know, but when you get, listen, when you get into your forties, you know, things change a little bit, you know, and I had always heard that the highest level success level entrepreneur or business owner is addicted to exercise, right. And is constantly centered and focused on their health. Tony Robbins talks about it. Chris Crone talks about it. Sean Callaghan talks about it, you know, and for me, I've adopted an exercise regimen and, and a regimen in general that I love and that I'm really, really excited about. So my energy level remains high there. That's number one. And then I think number two is either your schedule can command you or you can command your schedule. And so I've made it a point that every month at the beginning of the month, I'm blocking out specifically the time that I need away from business. It's not a tremendous amount of time other than I have specific family time every single day, but days when I can't necessarily be reachable because you need to be able to, to kind of decompress and be yeah. alone with thoughts and do something that's totally outside of the scope of what you typically do on a day in and day out basis. And for me, that's been super, super, super helpful. COVID has been crazy 
working from home is totally different. I was always an office 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. type person, you know, working from home, an adjustment, I think, for anybody. So I'll tell you what, Pam, actually, this, you'll get a kick out of this. For the first three months of work from home during the beginning of COVID, I literally would wake up in the morning, you know, do my exercise, but then um, shower and put on a suit. I swear to God. And not going anywhere, right? I'm in my home, but I dressed as if I was going to go into the office and in the corporate structure to keep myself in momentum and in vision of what it was before. And as weird as it sounds, it was really, really, really helpful to keep my mentality sharp around, you know, like, hey, you're at home. I don't want to do this right now. I could go do something else. That is so easy. People, it's unbelievable to me that people are as productive as they are working from home because there's so many distractions. I love that, Dave. It's almost like you're putting yourself in the visualization process of like you actually being there and like kind of cranking it out. Goal setting, like what have you done to get to these levels too. I'm sure like you and Rob and Eddie like have sat down together and what you've accomplished in the last three years is like <laughs> to the moon. To the Thank moon. You. Oh my God. Look who's talking. The power of the business plan is so critical. And not only that, but having your business plan audited by other people is so incredibly critical for me too. You know, and I think for anybody, if you put together the 12 week year is a really, really popular method of approaching goal setting during the course Mm -hmm. of a year. It's like managing your world in 12 week tranches. I think that makes a lot of sense. I've looked to adopt that myself and just, okay, I'm benchmarking the next 12 weeks as if it's a full calendar year. What are the things I'm going to get concluded, you know, and then level up and level up and level up after that. So that's been really, really helpful for me. I also joined an accountability group. And I cannot stress enough how important it is not to have just one accountability coach, but a group, right? For me, having an accountability group got me to quit smoking, right? I was a 25-year smoker. I quit smoking as a result of my, yeah, yeah, I quit that. I benchmark goals for wealth accumulation. I benchmark goals for making specific investments. And they held me accountable to the things that I was going to, you know, I hate bananas. I mean, hate, hate bananas. They're the most disgusting food. It it just skeeves me. (laughs) My accountability group, if I didn't hit my, if I didn't hit my must makes for the week, they made me eat a banana on Facebook Live. I mean, you may as well put kryptonite in my blood. That is the most disgusting thing. Another thing that they had me do, Pim, was they said, write a check to the person that you hate the most. And if you don't, if you, I swear to God, if you don't accomplish what you said, or if you don't do what you said that you were going to do, you have to write a check to that person, right? For, you know, whatever cause it is that they support. You know, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the thought of having to send that check to the person that I had in mind, and hate is such a strong word. I don't hate anybody, but the person that I could do without, oh man, I'll tell you. So it's stuff like that. I think that has, you know, I, I never did any of that stuff before. You know, it's a whole new world that I'm experiencing and I'm growing into. I absolutely love that, Dave. First off, I love the icons, whoever created that accountability group. That's pretty freaking awesome. And the 12-week model, can you dive into that a little bit? Like how could how could one learn about that and what's kind of what what's it all about? Sure, sure. Check out the book, The 12-Week Year. What it does is it gives a roadmap and breakdown of how you can model your business and personal goals in 12-week tranches or quarterly tranches. And it accelerates, what I've found more than anything else is it accelerates your sense of urgency, right? Because especially when you're working in like what you do, Pam, you're a rock star. And periodically, 
when you have a big sale, right? Or if you have a big flip or you have a big inflow of, of new wealth, right? Of new cash. Sometimes it's easy to get checkitis, right? And say, okay, I'm going to check out for a little while because, you know, I just had this massive inflow and I can lay off the gas for a minute. The 12 week year doesn't allow you to do that, right? Because it's constantly centered and focused on the must haves, the must deliverables in every single quarter. And by the way, the next quarter, you have to level above that. You have to exceed what that is. So it's a, um, it, it's something that's new. I'm, I'm learning more about it. I like it though. I really like managing towards it. The accountability group that I work with um, uses it as well. And I highly recommend it. That is freaking awesome. Oh my God. You're a rock star. Oh, it's super helpful to understand like how, how you set these goals and how you crank yeah. through because there's obviously a strategy and I love that strategy. And wow, my goodness. And now back to your financial side. What are some of like the common myths that you look to oh. break? Wow. In the financial space. I know there's people listening that, yeah. like, you know, they get fed all this stuff by financial advisors or what they hear and all these things. And then it's like crazy regulated. So you can't even get like an honest opinion on stuff, which by the way, whoever's listening to this, will put the disclaimer so that you're protected, Dave, that this Thank is not you. financial <laughs> advice, whatever. But like in your experience, what were some of the, like, the, the myths that you've broken? And then next to that, we'll add in some of your recommendations on like what the best moves would be how to play yeah, sure. with uh, leverage life insurance. Of course, one of the myths is that I, in my opinion, you mentioned life insurance is that you should, you know, you should buy term life insurance and invest yeah. the difference. You know, that's a big one. You hear that all the time. And mathematically speaking, that just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the reason for that, Pam, is not necessarily during the working years, right? Because I mean, if I, I like term life insurance, don't get me wrong. I own term life insurance. I think people should have that because it's an inexpensive way to protect your family, right? And to have a, length, a large amount of death benefit that would replace what you wanted to have happen, right? And the difference between what the term insurance price would be and a permanent insurance policy would cost for that death benefit, right. people would say that you should take that money and invest it into the markets and that you'll grow more wealth in that space. Whether or not that's true, whether or not that actually happens, right. there's two sets to the journey. There's accumulation of wealth and then there's spending of wealth because at you know the second half of the journey is retirement distribution. And the math works totally differently. It works totally differently. And if I go on are the days of just being able to live off the interest in the portfolio, right? Because interest right. rates have just been so low for so long. May are, are rates going to probably rise here? Yes. They, you know, the Federal Reserve already just raised rates, you know. But you know, are they gonna are they gonna rise dramatically? I don't know. I, you know, I'm of the opinion that's not gonna be the case personally. But when I'm spending money, first of all, people are living longer. Right. Life expectancies are, are longer now than they were years ago. And so right. if I have a bucket of money and I'm spending that down, right, and I have just even one bad market, right, one bad market. Now I've chewed down principal. Think about it. You got 100 bucks and you lose 50 percent. You have 50 dollars. Getting back to break even, you have to get 100 percent return. And that means that you have to take on double the risk. Right. You have to take on much more risk just to be able to get to back to break even because you're no longer saving your spending. And so that chew down is puts people in really, really dangerous positions. And so permanent insurance, whether it's whole life insurance or another vehicle, I love whole life insurance personally. I'm just a big, big fan of it. But permanent insurance is almost like a permission slip, Pam, to spend your money. 
in the future, right? Wherever that's coming from, whether it's market, I mean, even if it's spending down real estate, you know that you're going to be able to keep a bit of a legacy intact for your family as a result of having that permanent insurance out there. So I think that's one of the biggest myths. Also, another one that we're seeing quite a bit is, and I am not a CPA. I want to put that out there. I have my opinion of what is going to happen in the tax world as we go. But, you know, I look at, look, I mean, I look at the GDP and I look at cost items that are the large cost items for the U.S. I look at that in relation to the amount of money that has been printed and the amount of money that's going to continue to get printed. That money's going to have to come from somewhere. It's going to have to come from somewhere. And if you look at the history of U.S. taxes compared to where we are today, we're in a low tax bracket or tax environment, I should say, in comparison to history. Right. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes periodically. You know, I think the writing is on the wall. This is just my personal opinion. Writing is on the wall that tax rates could not only go higher, but substantially go higher. And if I've been taking my money and I've been saving it in tax deferred accounts, deferred doesn't mean free. It means I'm deferring tax for the future. And when I start spending that, if tax rates are higher, well, that, did I do myself a favor by getting a tax deduction in a low tax environment? Or did I do myself a disservice by having fully taxable income in a higher tax environment, right? And I would argue, I would, I would argue the latter. I would argue that you did yourself a disservice. You get tax write-offs all day long. I would imagine, you know, operating yeah. in, in, in the space that you operate in. There's so many different ways that you can legally create tax reduction for yourself in the world that we operate in now that I think that people need to find more creative ways to save money than necessarily just the traditional 401k. I, you know, I think that there's better ways of accumulating wealth. 100%, 100%. And, and what I love, Dave, is thank you for for those myth breaking by the way I always love doing that because you know everyone hears them and it's awesome to get some real life insight because you've seen it right what are some of the tools used to leverage life insurance policies because you guys were the first ones that I ever spoke to that told me that I could actually leverage oh yeah life insurance to do anything I just always thought like, okay, that's a life insurance policy in case I die or something. Like literally that was like, <laughs> thought process, right? I remember so our like, first conversation, Pam, about that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I don't want to think about death, Dave. Thank Wait, you. hold on. Thank I don't want to think about death. I'm not married yet. Like what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that conversation? Yeah, I do. I was I like, do. Freak that video. Mm-hmm. you just use it and leverage it for here. You and Rob were like, you guys, you just take it and you do this. And mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, (laughs) the easiest way for me to look at it. And I think that there are merits to any type of permanent life insurance, whether it's indexed universal life, you know, variable universal life, whole life, which is my personal one of choice. That's what I I prefer. It's like buying a house, especially whole life insurance. In my opinion, it's like buying a home. You're financing it as opposed to term insurance where you're kind of renting it, right? When you're financing it, you're building equity. Right. And not, not a lot of people are aware of that, but you're building equity in an asset that you're purchasing. The mistake that people make, Pam, is that they compare growth rates on equity in an insurance policy to a market, right? They're mm-hmm. like, oh, I could get much better rate of return in crypto. I could get much better rate of return trading stocks. And on a one-year basis, hey, that might be true. That probably is true, right? But the fact of the matter is that no one wealthy individual that I know not one has made all of their money off of one specific 
holding or one specific investment. They own multiple assets. And to me, permanent insurance is an amazing tool because yeah, if you think you can get a better return going into investing into real estate and you want to be able to do so, leverage the equity. Leverage the equity from the insurance. That's the whole thing. It's an asset that you're building equity regardless of market condition that you can use as leverage to make investments into larger yielding things. And we talk about that with our clients all the time. We use it as the base camp because of the leverage that it creates. And when people really understand the power of that type of positive leverage, it clicks and you have the ability to create higher velocity on your money better rate of return on your money because it's working for you in multiple different places. I love that, Dave. Oh my God. And that's one of the favorite things that I love about working with you guys is like, you can make your money work for you and not just in real estate, but in different avenues like life insurance, which is kind of like the unexpected route to go on, right? Which is super cool. Now here comes one of my favorite questions for you, Dave. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? Business, personal, anything. Wow. What an amazing question. I think that my number one, double down on the time that you spend with your kids without a shadow of a doubt. I think because no, I'm somebody who lost a parent at a younger age and be lying to you if I didn't feel like I got robbed of time with them every day. Now is the time as a man, you really start to recognize how correct your parents were about so many different things as soon as you have kids, you know what I mean? And so, you know, now being a father, I think about my father all the time. I'm like, oh my God, you were so right about everything, dad. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, but I, you know, now is like the time when I envisioned myself playing golf with him and going to dinner and getting advice and doing all those things. And, you know, unfortunately that wasn't in the cards for me. And so I look and I say, Hey, Dave, spend the time now. Do the things that you want with them now while you're still on this mortal coil, to quote Rob, you know, but while you're still here, while you can take advantage of that. I think that's first and foremost, number one. And then number two is do not ever put yourself into a position where you are 100% reliant on one or a couple of individuals that dictate your future right? Don't put yourself into that position, you know, maintain a level of ownership and a level of control and continue to do that and continue to innovate. That's that's the third thing. Continue to innovate because those who are not innovating in the world that we're operating in now are going to be dinosaurs. Absolutely going to be dinosaurs, right? Whether it's innovating and understanding, we were talking about, you know, crypto before, you know, understanding what crypto is, innovating and understand how that different ways to, to message yourself in social media verticals, right? Who would have thought, that one of our largest verticals is TikTok. Who would have thought that, you know? But it is, and that's something that's continuing to grow. So I think those are the things, and be intelligent. One of our business partners, Chris Crone, always says, and I love this quote, he says, you know, my last piece of advice, my last piece of financial advice after I've done all the other things is be an intelligent spender. Spend responsibly in the future, because I think we've all been guilty of not spending, you know, wisely in certain ways. So- those are the things I think I would tell myself. I love that, Dave. Thank you so much for sharing that. Just such a freaking rock star. Such a freaking rock star. And so what are you guys up to in the next like six to 12 months? What's up in the epic world, your yep. world? We have multiple trips that we're taking out to, to Provo, Utah to, you know, my partner speaks on Chris Crohn's stage and we have 
those lined up. We have multiple webinars that are lined up. We are exploring opportunities and relationships in the real estate space as well outside of, you know, in addition to what Chris is doing. And, you know, we're also expanding our team. We're taking on more fiduciaries. I think that's really, really important, especially right now. You know, we have a lot of inflow of assets coming in, in a market that I think could be relatively topsy-turvy. I think the higher amount of fiduciaries that we bring in the door, I think the better. I think we're going to benefit from that. Certainly. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to look at ways that we can innovate in two social media spaces. I think it's in TikTok and I certainly think it's in YouTube as well. We're continuing to build out the YouTube channel and we have uh, Infinity X, my podcast as well. I think we're going to be doing some interesting things in that space also. So we're really doubling down. You know, we're doubling down on our company and the presence of our company and bringing on the staffing in our company and, you know, pay attention. But I would tell everybody out there, pay attention. What we're doing is unlike what anybody in our space is doing. Hands down, bar none. I love that. Well, that's the reason why you're called Epic, because you guys do epic things. Now, <laughs> <laughs> you got to let everyone know where to find you, Dave. Where can everyone find you and your awesomeness? Absolutely. So you can get me at either D Harder, D-H-A-R-T-E-R, at epicfinancialstrategies.com. You can also get me on Instagram at David Harder underscore Epic. Uh, you can get me on Instagram at WeAreInfinityX. WeAreInfinityX.com. You can get us on WeAreInfinityX YouTube and EpicFinancialStrategies.com. I love it, David. Infinity X, if you want to chat on that for just a second so that we can sure. plug some people in there because that's a phenomenal show that you've got going on. Yep, absolutely. So about 16 months ago, we launched a podcast entitled Infinity X. Actually, at the time when we first launched it, Pam, it was called 19X, right? Because it was yes. centered around, hey, how do you 19X your sales? Because that's what happened with us. When we developed <laughs> partnerships with people like you, people like Chris Crone, we saw a 19X in our sales meetings. But then wow. we said- that puts a limitation on what we could create. We want to create infinite sales opportunities by helping people to hear from entrepreneurs, right? Hear from people that are doing things differently. And so yeah. we rebranded as Infinity X. And since we've really doubled down onto it, we've built out a wonderful podcast studio. We have a great audio visual team, a great marketing team. We are speaking every Tuesday evening, East Coast time at 7 p.m. We're doing it live on Facebook as well and on YouTube live as well. Replay it, weareinfinityx.com. But we've had some real power players. We've had the wonderful Pam Barty, who <laughs> uh, we just repurposed the content out on We Are Infinity X YouTube. Pam's in-office live interview has gotten, I believe, the highest number of views, Pam, of any of the, yes, ma'am, of any of the, uh, yeah, buddy. <laughs> oh my God, I got I to gotta promo that. I didn't even yeah. I get that content. I didn't know that. What? Yeah. You know, we've had Dan Geltrude, America's accountant from Fox News, live in studio as well. This Tuesday night, we have a guy by the name of Eric Allen, who I'm excited to get to know a little bit more, entrepreneur out there. And what we're looking to do is we're looking to develop partnerships, potentially with people that are like-minded to what we're doing and merge ecosystems. You know, that's, you know, and Sean Cowley, he talks about that all the time. Um, that's, you know, it's something that I think is really really, really relevant, but we're just constantly looking to bring good content, you know, and things that are interesting and topics that are interesting for people that are trying to build and scale. I love that. Oh my God. You're up to so many amazing things, my friend. It's truly an honor to be in your world, in Rob's world, the epic world, and just thank you so much for your time today. I've learned so much throughout the process and just enjoyed hearing everything and how you speak from the soul is so beautiful. So thank you so, so much for being here. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. 
Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. We know it's overtime, working like some underdogs. underdogs. underdogs.